0: Welcome to BIV Today, the daily podcast from the Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. A new report released today by the Public Policy Forum Think Tank has examined Canada's relationship with China. It uh, consulted a wide range of people over the last 18 months in this country and concluded, of course, there is much to gain economically for Canada in developing a new series of sectoral pacts with our second-largest trading partner. Kevin Lynch, the co-chair of the study, is the vice chair of BMO Financial Group, a former clerk of the Privy Council, and he joins me now to discuss the report titled Diversification, Not Dependence. Thanks for joining me.
1: Kurt, thanks for having me.
0: Listen, my my first thoughts go to the questions of uh, how much and why we need China.
1: Well, I I think China needs us and we need China. So I think there's a mutually beneficial relationship. I mean, part of the reason we started this process of the consultative forum on on China is that really there isn't clarity about how we should be engaging kind of trade-wise but otherwise with the world's second largest economy. Within a decade, it will be the largest, largest population base in the world and an enormous middle class. And so part of our aim here was try to, consulting with a large number of people and thinking through it, is what is a way forward? For a made in Canada kind of policy for a long term, stronger, deeper relationship with China. You cannot afford to ignore China. You, and there's no, it's it's not a choice. The only choice is how, how we engage deeper and better with China. And that's what we try and set out in this report.
0: Yeah. How, how would you characterize what we've been doing? I mean, obviously, we're not sitting it out. We have. We have more resources that flow to China than flow into us from it. And we're, we're clearly trying to to figure out something here. But how would you characterize what we've been doing?
1: Well, I, I would think you'd characterize our trade with China as well below potential. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our exports to China are about 4.5% of our total exports. Even the United States uh, 8.5% of their exports go to China. If we just <clears throat> traded at the same proportion as the Americans do, it will be another $25 billion of exports to China. So in a sense, we talk a lot about trading with China, but we don't have that many firms trading in China, and we don't have that many products going to China. and We don't have a large enough share of our exports going there. Over 75% of our trade still goes to the United States, even though we've been talking about diversification to Asia and elsewhere for the last 20 years. But at some point in time, we're actually going to have to take action to make trade diversification a reality. And you can't do that unless you engage more with China.
0: And then here we are on the cusp of the 50th year of recognizing the country officially. Uh, What's held us back, do you think?
1: I think what's held us back a little bit is, has been the ease or relative ease of doing business in the American market. Ah. But uh, And the American market for a long time was the fastest growing in the world, the deepest in the world, the largest in the world. And that was certainly true even you know 20 years back. But what's happened has been over the last 20 years, China has gone from 4% of the global economy to 15 today. And it will surpass the United States in 10 years. And so the issue for us is I don't think we've shifted as quickly as the global economy has shifted towards uh, Chinese growth.
0: Yeah. So the group makes a series of uh, interrelated recommendations for economic and geopolitical gains. Um And it says it does so without sacrificing principle. And I suppose I should get right at that uh, right away, which is, you know, we we've expressed over the years uh, qualms in terms of human rights, in terms of uh, in terms of economic uh, uh, frameworks, even in China. Uh, Is there a way forward here?
1: Well, we think there is. And uh, we we think it really is um, a an integrated kind of strategy. It's not just kind of selling kind of gas or kind of um, uh, coal or, or what have you. And it's not just um, worrying about security and other things. It's actually packaging them together. I mean, if you look at Canadian public opinion, it both um, shares concerns about human rights and other things, but it's, it's equally <laughs> realistic about the importance of the Chinese economy to the future. And so it um, public opinion would argue very much in line with our report is that we have to find uh, a way forward that actually um, balances the things. It's not either trade or human rights or trade or security. Um, We have to find and. It's all those things together, and that's the nature of a deep and stronger relationship. And so in the 12 integrated um, recommendations we have as part of that, we try and bring them all together. And we think that's in our interest and hopefully in China's
0: interest as well. So, recommendation number one was what, of course, stands out in this report in a big way because it is—it's—it's uh, it's almost a twofold recommendation. It's—it's it's pointing a way forward, and it's also pointing a way to navigate around something. And the something is, of course, the new USMCA, which, which on the surface of it appears to put quite a constraint on Canada in trying to reach a, a true free trade pact with uh, with a so-called non-market economy like China's for instance, um, are are you convinced that that is a possibility?
1: We are. In fact, we make the point in the report that um, Canada and the United States had a sectoral agreement called the Auto Pact long before we attempted a free trade agreement. Mm -hmm. And the Auto Pact, to a certain extent, um, taught us how we could do um, more things uh, in a coordinated way. we see the sectoral agreements doing the same thing so in each of them would be a focus not on reducing tariffs because you can only do that in a comprehensive free trade agreement but actually worrying about regulatory efficiency permitting kind of um, access to the markets all the sort of things that are impediments to Canadian business folks trying to sell into the Chinese market that whole gamut of things would be part of a sectoral agreement it also just like the autopack line time back it would actually because it had a focus in a sector would get larger numbers of canadian business folks thinking about understanding developing strategies for doing business in china if you don't if you don't have trade competencies in canadian business it's pretty hard to take advantage of the trade potential in china
0: so one or two sectors begat three or four and 10 or 12 or over time.
1: Exactly. It builds momentum. It mm-hmm. builds confidence in the business sector. It builds support services that will help you do business in China. It will build better knowledge in our banking system, both lending to a new business. It's all those things. But if you start at a free trade level, it'll take eight, 10, however many years before you make profit, And that's a long time to, in effect, wait for it to happen. It's difficult to maintain political momentum, business excitement, what have you, over that period. We think by focusing on sectors, starting with, we would argue, agriculture and then different natural resources, you you build, you have concrete progress early, which actually begets more progress.
0: I needn't tell you um, or the group about the bellicose nature of uh, the American president when it comes to appearing Uh, to be uh, 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 in a sense um, shown up for all of this is there any danger at all any risk at all for Canada to start engaging these uh, sectors uh, by essentially rattling the cage of the United States which will suspect that Canada is just trying to get much of the same thing without necessarily having to call it a full free trade deal.
1: Well, there's a big difference between sectoral agreements and full free trade deals so in a sense it's not a matter of just label there is kind of substantive difference but i i would uh, you know put it differently in a sense what the what the united states is engaging the u.s trades more with china than we trade with china so it's not as if suddenly we're taking american uh, you know trade away from kind of america the united states is uh, views china increasingly not just as a trading partner with imbalanced trade, but as a strategic competitor for transformative technologies, mm-hmm. and, and that forms a fair bit of the American-China debate uh, today. What Canada is doing is it says I have to, we have to diversify our economy for our own future growth prospects. And we're gonna do it sector by sector in a measured kind of way, consistent with the WTO obligations. And we believe that's consistent with the Clause 3210 in the new United States, Mexico, Canada agreement, which actually gives um, the United States a veto over non-market a free trade agreement um, with a non-market economy. But a free trade agreement is defined by the WTO as covering substantially all uh, trade in goods and services, and what mm-hmm. we're looking at are specific sectoral agreements.
0: Yeah, you started the conversation by saying China needs us, and I think um, some Canadians would wonder: Do they really need us? They're so big; they they can find many of their resources and products uh, all over the world. Uh, what is it that Canada also can offer in terms of the social nature? Of what it is that we have in this country, our, our our societal values.
1: Well, I think that's right, but but just even on the on the uh, good side, one of the things that's increasingly a priority for China is security of supply, mm-hmm. and with less security about whether they'll have access to U.S. markets, they're actually putting a greater weight on having you know, non-geopolitical supply relationships with countries. And Canada is perfectly placed to offer um, security of supply for the key uh, goods and services China wants. In many ways, we want security of demand because we (laughs) have less security of demand in the U.S. market than we had 10 or 15 years back. So I see a complementarity between China in a more uncertain world wanting um, a, a greater portfolio balance of security supply and Canada in that same uncertain world wanting uh, a greater diversification and hence security of demand. So I think that I think there are mutual interests here because of the changing global nature of the uh, economy.
0: Yeah, a common worry about the United States.
1: Uh, I think just the a changed global economy of which um, U.S. behavior is part of that, but there are other changes as well. It's a less certain, less sure global economy, and and um, countries are going to react to that. We want to diversify as one of our reactions to that. China being a key part, China wants to diversify the countries that it buys and the markets it buys goods from. Hopefully, we can be part of that too.
0: How do we also make sure, though, Kevin, that that we're not just a soft touch we're not just an easy play for a large country i mean we we had to we've had to deal with that all our lives with America and making sure that we stood up on particular issues involving sovereignty and so on how do we make sure we we get the same arrangement with china
1: well i I think the key is to certain extent diversification um, one of our challenges now is with having take Take energy, oil is a good example. The discount on Canadian uh, oil going to the United States has been running between 20 and $35 a barrel. That's because we don't have any other options. We have a single buyer, and when you have a single buyer, they have a lot of um, power over price. I think the key thing with China is we're not suggesting it's going to become our key market, but it'll be a counterweight to the other markets. It will be a part of our diversification. And so they will see in that... Um, an ability to um, gain by having new sources of supply and we'll uh, have the ability to gain by having new sources of demand. I, I think uh, in that there's the potential for gain for both parties, but mm-hmm. it, it all comes down to in the end, negotiating it. Yeah.
0: It, some of the the darker side of the coverage of our relationship with China, of course, has has expressed concern about uh national security, about uh, the presence of China and Canada in terms of uh, potential even political interference. How do we make sure that there is an explicit conduct that is going to be acceptable to this country as we're increasing and enhancing our economic relationship?
1: Well, I, I think, and the report, is, as you know, um, uh, indicates this, I think we should have a clear parliamentary statement that Canada Will not accept in any way, shape, or form intrusions under uh, sovereignty by any country um, on, on residents, n- not in the political process, not in the um, residents of Canada's conduct of their ability. So, to me, that should be a general statement. It's not uniquely targeted at China. It should mm-hmm. be something a sovereign country makes sure that it um, assures its citizens and residents.
0: You identify, as you said earlier, the agri-food and natural resources areas uh, as as perhaps the first steps in all of this. How quickly could we effect um, a sectoral arrangement with China? Do you think?
1: Well, that's a good question, and I I think
0: much faster than we could
1: negotiate a um, a full free trade agreement. You know, in the absence of the U.S. kind of clause thirty two ten. You know, when you think about China with a middle class of 300 to 400 million um, who want safe, different, high-quality, high-protein uh, kind of food stuff, the potential to increase um, our demand uh, is very high in these areas. Whether you know, you think of pork, you think of beef, you think of uh, pulse crops, um, you can think of seafood and what have you. My, my sense is that we should be able to do this in a reasonably short time. I think part of the challenge will be on the Canadian side, it's actually gearing up to supply at the sort of scale that Chinese buyers want.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. We've, we've talked to businesses on our program regularly that suddenly effect a deal with China and, and just suddenly can't get to scale uh, in, in the time that's necessary.
1: And so that you know, one of the other areas of our recommendations is that we think this is an area where government, uh, working with business, has to um, work on the scale issue. <laughs> in, in a sense, if you want to deal with an economy that large, you've got to be able to uh, find ways to um, sell at the scale needed. That may require different ways of kind of cooperative selling organizations. It may require expand, you know, sales, long-term contracts, things of that sort. But it's the sort of problem that's not bad having because it says we're growing. And that's what we want in the country, long-term growth.
0: The report is called Diversification, Not Dependence. And the co-chair of the study for the Public Policy Forum is Kevin Lynch. He's the vice chair of BMO Financial Group and a former clerk of the Privy Council Office. I want to thank you for your time today, Kevin.
1: Kirk, thanks very much for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation.
0: You've been listening to BIV Today, the daily podcast from the Business and Vancouver Newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. Thanks a lot for listening.